Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to episode number 72 of Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Baldacci, and today I'm talking with Simon Sander, founder of Oscar Hamilton, a productized service agency that helps clients produce and edit their podcast. Simon built this agency on the back of his own popular podcast, Entrepreneur Decoded, and today we talk about how other agencies could benefit from following the same process. In our chat, Simon shares exactly how his podcast directly led to more clients, why it's possible to get big results without a large audience, and he lays out the step-by-step process that he follows to produce his podcast without taking up all of his time. Podcasts aren't for everyone, but after seeing how powerful they can be, it absolutely blows my mind how few agencies have actually launched their own. Even if you don't plan on ever getting behind the mic, tune into this episode and keep an open mind. So without further ado, here's Simon Sander of Oscar Hamilton. Simon, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Andy. So what is Oscar Hamilton and how did the whole thing come about? So OscarHamilton.com, we offer podcast production and editing services. Um, I'm a podcaster myself for a year now, and I I put out 125 episodes by today. One of the things that really annoyed me was when I was listening to uh, good podcasts, including Tim Ferriss, James Altucher, John Lee Dumas was doing a great job, but a lot of really good podcasts out there didn't know how to produce good audio, and it always pissed me off. So what about it was pissing you off? Was it just, it was bad sound and you said like, all right, I need to do this myself or how did that, how did that come about? No, exactly. When you were listening, when you're in gym uh, running and you're listening to a really interesting interview, uh, I don't know, listening, uh, listening interview with Ted Rubin or uh, whoever, you know, and you heard that background noise and cracks and uh, just those small things. Maybe I'm a bit OCD, <laughs> OCD <laughs> about uh, sound quality, but I always wanted to have the best audio quality as possible. And I know it's possible. If if the person has a regular microphone or using their earphones or using their laptop, laptop microphone, you can do wonders in audio editing software. So my goal with Oscar Hamilton was to get those good podcasts content-wise and make them amazing audio-wise as well. Interesting, because I know that that is one of the biggest complaints listeners have of any podcast is bad quality audio. And that is just a big turnoff because, I mean, people are investing their time to listen to this. They want to see that the host is investing their time to make it actually worth listening to. It it was funny. I came across this podcast just a few weeks ago, and it had... um, 93 five-star reviews on iTunes. Um, I think everybody in the in the audience is familiar with what that means. It means it's a pretty popular podcast. And when I listened to it, around two minutes into the interview, it just shut down for like 30 seconds and then it went on. And then another time, it went it shut down for 30 seconds and then it went on. And it seems like people have accepted that, that audio quality can be bad if content is good. But... Uh, I personally don't accept that. What came first, Oscar Hamilton or your own podcast? My own podcast. I started it, um, let me think, it was, I started recording last year's in May. So uh, it's been almost a year now. Okay. And what actually led to you creating your own podcast? Right. I was a big fan of uh, John Lee Dumas. Um, I liked Tim Ferriss' show, even though his audio wasn't that good always. Now he has really pumped it up a notch. But I like James Altucher's show. But there was always something missing. I always wanted to ask ask some other questions that they were asking. Um, maybe it's the Eastern European in me or the European in me. But uh, I always wanted to ask a bit of different questions. And I didn't get the exact value I was looking for. So, so I wondered, what if I start a podcast? I had a, I had a background in blogging, uh, in social media. So I had no idea how to start a podcast, um, how to talk, how to interview people. So what I did, I reached out to uh, 50 to, I think it was like 60 people, really well-known uh, entrepreneurs, uh, really, really well-known. And uh, 
believe it or not, around five people said yes to me. A guy without no audience and nothing. So I, I really believe anyone who's listening who wants to start a podcast, just reach out to a lot of people and trust me, uh, five to 10% will say yes. One is better than zero. <laughs> Obviously, you want to ask your own questions. You want to take a different approach to the interviews. But was the goal bigger than that? Or was it just truly, I want to ask my own questions? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, in the beginning, it was most uh, mostly fun and just entertaining and educating myself. But um, around uh, when I've done when I did like 40 episodes, I realized I could monetize that. And one of the most popular ways to monetize is to simply get ads on your show. Uh, I don't know if you if you run ads on uh, on your show, Andy, but a lot of famous podcasters do uh, Fresh Books, uh, Audible. Um, all the big ones, you know, and <laughs> it gets pretty annoying for the for a listener. Um, so I wondered, um, what if I start something on my own? We have uh, podcasters listening to my show. What if I start start a podcast production and editing services, and I don't annoy my listeners every time? So uh, when I when I've done when I did around forty episodes, I didn't even have an advertisement in my show. I would just put it in show notes in every of my blog posts. And that performed really well. And now, uh, I think a month ago, I started uh, started every interview that I do, uh, a quick sponsor to uh, OscarHamilton.com. We do podcast production and editing services. And it works really, really well. I love Tim Ferriss's podcast, but there are like four to five minutes in the beginning and at the end of straight ads. And while like I can skip through it always and it's long and it's sort of hypocritical. On this show, we do have a 30-second spot that, that talks about the sponsor, Hubstaff. But that's the only time I mention I try to keep it quick. I try to keep it relevant to the audience. I think that's reasonable. But some of the shows, it, it's minutes and minutes and minutes of But again, you advertise time. your own services, right? Right. And that's the beauty of it. People, I, I feel that people don't get that annoyed with it if you advertise your own services, your own courses, your own consultations, your own stuff. You have this idea to, to create a podcast service, which really is a productized service business. And that's originally why I wanted to have you on the show, because you run a productized service agency. And so before you had truly built this out, how were you editing, producing, putting all these podcasts together? Were you just doing it yourself? Yeah, I did it myself and I had no idea how uh, how well I was doing. But I th I think people liked it. I did it uh, on my own for around the 35, 40 episodes. And uh, I was putting out an episode every single day <laughs> inspired by John Lee Dumas, which wasn't that smart of, smart of an idea. I don't know if you want to hear about that, but um, um, I edited my own, own podcasts uh, for 35 episodes. And then I realized it's not worth my time. Uh, there are people who are way smarter than me, know this stuff better, and they can probably do it better than me and faster than me. So I had a really good friend uh, from Estonia, where I'm from, um, who went to the same high school as I did. So I knew that he's, uh, he's doing this kind of work right now. So I said, yo, do you want to help me out? And he said, yeah, sure. So ever since, uh, ever since uh, from 35 episodes, he's been doing my edits. How much time was this taking in the beginning? Because I, I've thought about just going from once a week to twice a week and the thought scares me. So I, I can't even imagine doing it five days a week or was it seven or five? So in the beginning it was seven days a week and now we're doing three times a week. Are you still doing your own uh, editing, Andy? No, so I don't do the editing myself. I, I have an editor, but it's like even with that, just scheduling all the interviews and doing all of that seven days a week is a huge Effort. So in the beginning, how much time were you spending on this? Um, I think it was probably one hour per episode, um, editing-wise, and it took us uh, – and our, our episodes were 25 minutes long, so an hour. But, of course, scheduling interviews, uh, research part, uh, putting uh, together the blog post, uh, all that stuff that goes with it, you know, Andy, it's, it's quite a bit of work. So – one of the reasons why I switched from seven days a week to three times a week, three episodes a week was uh, first my mental health. I I started, I I started uh, not enjoying it anymore. I would, uh, it was pretty funny. I would in, I would have um, in the beginning when I when I started off, I would have recordings recording days on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and some days I would record from nine a.m. until six p.m. just eight to ten interviews a day but i don't know if you know what john lee dumas does he does 14 interviews a day 
He does it on just like Mondays, right? Yeah, exactly. So he does everything or maybe it's every other week, something like that, like 14 interviews a day. And it's funny if you listen to his podcast, um, some some episodes he runs out of energy and then you know that the, probably this episode was done like 7 p.m. on a Monday night. Yeah, that was like number 13 or 14. Number 13. But in the beginning, it's good. So one of the reasons I switched was I wasn't enjoying myself in, anymore. And I believe it's all about happiness. So I switched around. Then when, when you start offering the, the service, you have one person who's working on the editing. What was it like building out the team and building out the processes to allow you to offer this to more clients? Yeah, I'll be really clear. It's still a pretty uh, small business. We're working with around uh, 15 clients um, and we have uh, five or s- I think it's six audio editors. So the ratio is uh, pretty pretty big, honestly. So... Uh, I kind of knew what I was looking for, so I simply went to Upwork.com and wrote wrote a keyword audio editor and reached out to a bunch of people, asked for references, asked for what shows they'd done before, and uh, I was looking to pay around thirty to fifty dollars an hour, and that's kind of the average rate ratio you pay for a podcast editor, who is a good one, and I wanted um, five to ten years of experience. Because the podcasts have to be good, uh, which I edit. That was what that was one of the things for sure. So uh, that was kind of how I started building the small team. Okay, and, and did you run into any hiccups along the way? Because I know that there's a difference between outsourcing some of this work yourself and then doing it for other people and kind of scaling up a bit. And so, did you run into any any obstacles along the way of taking on these clients? Um. Delivery time is a big one. Uh, I, I don't know uh, how you do it, Andy, but how, how long is your buffer usually for uh, your show? That's something that I work on a lot. Uh, right now, I basically spent last week doing a ton of interviews. Like right now, I have probably six weeks of interviews in the books, but then sometimes I'll have like a week. And so it's really hard to be uh, consistent with that. And that's actually something that I've been working on doing. So we had one of those uh, one of the, one of the clients uh, who put on put out three episodes a week, uh, p- excuse me, three episodes a week exactly, and he sent me an interview just night before um, he wanted to get it published. So there's always this big question at the turnout time. People want to do want to get everything done re- really really fast, and our turnout turn turnaround time is usually seventy two hours. And uh, sometimes uh, the clients want, want it to get done faster, 24 hours, 12 hours. And uh, we've missed a few deadlines because of it. Uh, some of our clients want things done faster. And if it's uh, Friday night and you're just late late with your interviews, it's really hard to um, help you with that. So how do you handle that when a client has relatively unreasonable uh, requests? Right. Um, usually if... I'll try my best, honestly. Uh, I, I'll really try my best. I'll reach out to every single person, every single audio editor. But we have to understand they have lives. They have families. Um, they have work. They have to do anyways besides that since they're uh, freelancers and not uh, in-house um, editors. So usually it works out uh, nine out of ten times. But uh, that ten time, it doesn't work out. So the episode go episode goes out five or six hours later then uh, it's scheduled. But it always goes out on the same day as it's supposed to be. I see. Okay, so you're still you not like missing the day entirely, and the clients are still happy, but they might just be a little bit later than expected. This whole thing is interesting to me, and I want to talk a bit more about actually the building up of the business side of it, about the agency, about Oscar Hamilton. So how far in did you say it was when you first launched this business? Like how, how many episodes into your podcast were you? So it was, I think, 35, 40 episodes. Yeah. Okay. How are clients finding you? How Are they just emailing you? Are they listeners of the show? Like how does that all work? So in the beginning, uh, as I mentioned, uh, there was a small link in the show notes, as in the sponsor of the show is Oscar Hamilton. And there was no mention of, the, of Oscar Hamilton on our actual show. So it's just in the show notes. And uh, people would come to our site to listen to an interview and then go back to the show notes, kind of like a weird funnel. And just send me an email. Hey, I saw the company on the show notes. 
I'm thinking about starting a podcast. Can you help me out? That's that's the first one. Second one is Twitter. A lot of people hate Twitter because it's cluttered, um, and it is cluttered. But a lot of clients come from there. Well, if they're coming from Twitter, are are you tweeting about the episodes? Are you tweeting about the service, or what what is it that brings them back? Twitter is weird, man. So there's this really fun uh, fun thing you can do. Uh, you can uh, click out. Uh, you can um, you can write a tweet and you can pin it. So whenever someone clicks on your profile, that one tweet will show always the top of your page. So if you head over to Oscar Hamilton uh, Twitter account, um, you'll sh- you'll see our tweet at the top of our page, which says, "Hey, uh, do you want to take your podcast to the next level?" And it's pretty funny. We get a lot of click-throughs from Twitter. I honestly don't know how and why, but people, <laughs> I guess it's catchy. Do you want to get? Uh, you, do you want to take your podcast to the next level? So people just click it and uh, go from there. Which is, I I can't explain why that happens, but it does. Interesting. Okay, so you have people from the show notes. You have people hearing the, the the sponsorship mentioned at the beginning. You have them coming from Twitter. How long does it start to take before the clients start coming in from when you first launched the agency? Um, okay, my first strategy that I used was uh, quite odd. Mm. My my initial goal, because there's this guy called Craig Hevitt, um, and he, lun- uh, he runs a really similar business. Uh, he runs a podcast motor, and they do a really, really good job. Um, they have around 30, 40 clients, so they're a, a bit uh, bigger than we are. But so they started off by offering free services. So I thought if it works for them, I'll give it a shot. So I reached out to every single person I interviewed previously. So um, we had, what, 40 people by that time, and said, hey, um, do you want to start a podcast or do you know anyone who wants to start a podcast? And uh, we, I started this pretty cool company. We help, uh, we help with production and editing. Are you interested in uh, working with me? Out of 40 people, five, five or six people said, yeah, sure. Like, tell me more about it. So I Skyped with all of them and uh, I started offering free work to two people. And every time you, uh, every time you listen to their shows, uh, they have us. Sometimes they mention our uh, our company in their uh, in their intro and outro, as well as show notes. That's how we got started. We had two people, and they just mentioned us, which was kind of weird strategy. I'm I don't know if I'm if if I like it as in doing free work, but it definitely works. I've spoke with Craig before, and I know he reached out to relatively prominent podcasters and basically just asked, like, all right, how are you guys doing this? Are you doing this in-house? Let me take over. Uh, just give a mention to to Podcast Motor, and it'll be free. And that got him some traction early on. So the first thing I think is that helps you make your processes and systems a bit more robust with lower pressure. You don't have a bunch of paying clients coming in that have higher expectations that are trying to ask a lot for you. You have just a small group who are getting this for free. So you're able to to kind of test things out a little bit and get things in order. Are you confident or do you know if the, you actually got leads from that work or is it just it's hard to track? So I wasn't tracking at time at all. I simply asked them to put a link Oscar Hamilton without any tracking. And honestly, I have no idea. So uh, right now uh, I'm working on uh, with few few people who I am about to offer free services um, and definitely we're going to track it way smarter than, than we did. Do you have a target customer? Like what types of clients do you have? Why do they have podcasts and why do they come to you? Usually it's self-funded uh, businesses, self-funded podcasts. Um, and uh, why do they come, come to me? I think that somehow the message resonates uh, resonates with them. Somehow they they come to the website, they see it's professional, they send me an email. I usually try my best to answer in three hours. They like that right away. I'll send them over some demos we've done, and they like that. I'll make it about them, not about me. I'll I'll tell them how I can help them, how I can make their podcast better. I can I I can help them reach more audience. I can help them make more money by using our services. And I think that's kind of the approach I'm taking. 
And I think it's funny because I think that startups are starting to come around to the idea of just how valuable podcasting can be for their business to help them develop authority, to help them reach their target audience. But not as many service businesses, not as many agencies have done this. And it's like, to me, it's crazy because I think it's almost more valuable for those businesses. If you're going to speak to the agency's uh, side of things, obviously, I know they're not a lot of your clients, but that's what you are. So what should an agency think about if they're considering starting a podcast? Who is a podcast good for? Okay, I guess the first step is uh, do you enjoy listening to podcasts, uh, podcasts and do you enjoy talking? I think that's, a, that's the first one. I was really afraid, honestly. I, English isn't my first language and that was kind of the kind of the biggest uh, scares for me starting off and uh, will I be able to make engage will I be able to have engaging interviews with my guests uh, that was the first worry for me I think a lot of people don't have that worry but I think um, some people might have the worry that am I good enough um, will I be able to put out good content and if I was able to do that I'm sure anyone in our audience uh, will be able to do the same thing so first thing is to think about do you actually enjoy listening to podcasts and are you ready to put yourself out there? Um, number two, uh, defining your niche and finding a target audience. Uh, since you're probably serving already client base, um, I would go after the same people in a way. So just providing more value to them. And if I had to start again, I would even get more niche specific. Um, I think a lot of people got inspired by John Lee Dumas and Andrew Warner from Mixergy who, who do those really vague interviews, ask about their past and future and uh, goal setting and habits and morning routines and everything. But if I had to start again, I would get really niche specific like you do, Andy. You have probably you don't have Mil- you, you'll never be able to reach millions of people who are listening, but the amount of people who are listening will come back to you every single week. They're engaged. They will buy your stuff. They will buy your services. So I would I would get really niche specific and uh, choose your target audience really carefully. Smaller, the better. Um, and third one, tie it up in the same way as I did with your services. Have a link in your blog posts whenever you uh, whenever you publish an episode. I missed uh, a point before that. You have to you have to decide where you're going to do interviews or just talk with your, uh, talk on your own. So that's kind of obvious whatever you enjoy more, pick one of those. And once you do that, have a simple link in blog posts whenever you publish uh, publish an episode and advertise your services the same way Hopstuff does and you do Andy. Just beginning of episode and in the end of the episode. And just with those three steps, uh, you'll be pretty good to go. There are so many different angles to podcasting and to why it's valuable that a lot of businesses need to think about. So many just assume that for it to be worth anything at all, they need to have an audience of tens of thousands of people listening to every single episode. But that's, that's just not the case. Yeah. I want to interrupt for a second. Uh, I was listening to Keynote um, keynote with uh, Cliff from uh, Podcast Answer Men. And I think uh, everybody in, the, in, the, in your audience, Andy, uh, who has done podcasting know him. He's one of the like Tony Robbins of podcasting. <laughs> He's done it for uh, maybe a decade or so. So he said if only one person listens to his podcast, he, ma- he would still make a living. Because one of his first listeners was Michael Hyatt, who hired him right away. And he made a living, living with just one listener. So no, you don't need 10,000 people listening to your podcast when you're starting a podcast for your agency, you don't need that. 100 people, 1,000 people, one is better than zero once again. For software businesses, a lot of times you're not charging that much money. So you do need to have a bit of a numbers game to make it work. But for agencies, if the standard project for an agency is five, ten thousand 10000 or more dollars, then you really do not need to get many leads, referrals, whatever – for it to show a pretty huge ROI. And not only that, but while you're, if you do have an interview-based show, while you're doing these interviews, you're building great connections in your industry. So even if you're not getting clients directly from it, you're becoming more of an authority. You're, you're getting to know people who can help you, who you can help, and you can just build strong relationships in your industry, which is invaluable. Yeah. You mentioned an important point. Uh, when you do an interview-based show, you'll meet some amazing people. It's insane. Uh, the people I met uh, this uh, the last year, 125 
brilliant entrepreneurs who I've otherwise probably wouldn't have met. Uh, so if you're thinking about starting an interview-based uh, based show, you're going to make probably way more money than you are today, number one. Two, you're going to have a great time if you like speaking. And third, you're going to meet some amazing people and you're going to learn a bunch. So I think every single person who's listening right now should really consider starting a podcast. While there are so many podcasts out there, and that's what the first thing I always hear is, but there's so many podcasts out there. How can I compete with that? And the answer is, like you said before, is like, don't try to compete with everything out there. If you're just going to create a podcast for startups in general, yeah, you're probably not going to get heard when there's a ton of great ones out there. So pick your niche and speak directly to the clients that you serve because there's a very good chance there's not a real good medium for them to go to to get this material. So if you can serve a small audience very well, that's really all you need to do. And same thing with blogging. Everybody has been talking online that blogging is dead. There was a really popular article on medium.com that got like 2,000 upvotes. And this guy was telling, uh, writing that blogging is dead and nobody should start a a blog, which is just complete bullshit, let's be honest. And there there was another dude... I can't remember who was it, but I think it was a pretty big uh, podcaster who said that uh, don't uh, let your uh, sons become podcasters or something. Something like that, I'm uh, rephrasing. And then uh, James Altucher kind of dissed him online and said, no, every single person should start a podcast. If 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 I can do it, you can do it as well. Mm-hmm. It's right. If, if you can put in the effort to put out a good quality product, but also do it to people who are narrowly focused, who aren't being uh, spoken too much to begin with. If you can create something that does speak to them, you're going to stand out. And like we said before, you don't need to speak to millions to make this work. Before we get back to the interview, we're just going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The Agency Advantage podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets and start getting the insights into how your team is spending their time that only screenshots and in-depth reports can give you. You probably know that by now, but what you may not know is that we recently launched a platform called Hubstaff Talent that makes it easier for you to find and hire high-quality freelancers around the world. Whether you just need extra hands for a specific project or you're looking for something long-term, Hubstaff Talent is what you need. Best of all, it's 100% free. We don't take a cut and we don't act as a middleman. Our goal is for you to use Hubstaff for time tracking, but you're not required to do so. If you're looking to grow your team with remote freelancers and don't want to pay big fees to Upwork, head over to talent.hubstaff.com today and create a free profile for your agency and start posting your jobs. That's talent.hubstaff.com. Before I kick it back to Simon, I just want to give everyone a quick heads up. At this point in the interview, something went wrong with my primary recording, so we had to divert to the backup system that I use, and unfortunately, I didn't realize that the backup system was using Simon's default microphone. Luckily, that default microphone is pretty good, so there aren't any issues with the audio going forward. It still sounds great, but it isn't as clean or crisp as it was in the beginning when it was using his high-quality microphone. So honestly, if I hadn't said anything, I'm not sure if it would have been a big deal, but because Simon's business is podcasting, I just want to make it clear that this was not a mistake on his end. It was one on my end. That being said, though, with a disclaimer out of the way, let's get back to the interview because there's a lot more value going forward. Say that we've convinced a few people they want to start a podcast. What does the process actually look like for getting started? Okay, so you've decided and you want to start a podcast. Uh, you want to have some fun. First, you want to decide on... Okay, it's going to be a bit uh, techy, but I'll, I'll go through it fast. Um, first, first, you want to decide on your media hosting. And uh, I would go with Libsyn.com. That's one of the biggest ones and all the big, big podcasters use it. I made a huge mistake in the beginning. I started off with this really small company because I like their web design. It sounds crazy, but I really liked it. So I thought <laughs> I'll give it a shot. And it took them uh, a week usually to, to answer uh, my, my questions. Um, so it was just a headache. So I had to move from, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to mention their name because they're still in business, but uh, I moved from uh, their company to Olipsin and I really like it. It's, I don't know, it's like 50 bucks a month when you run, when you, if you put out more episodes, it's going to be more expensive. So first decide on media hosting. Go with Libsyn if possible. Uh, number two, get yourself a decent microphone. There's a lot of talk about uh, you can you can start a podcast with uh, just laptop and uh, your earphones. Of course you can, but if you have a hundred bucks to invest, just get yourself a decent microphone. 
go to amazon.com don't stress too much about it pick uh, something which has uh, good ratings like a usb microphone i don't know blue yeti or something and uh, it's gonna greatly improve uh, improve your audio quality it's gonna be easier for you later to edit it as well third really decide on your target audience get really specific um, Johnny Dumas has a really good blog post on finding your avatar. Be as specific as possible. You can even make a storyline. My my ideal client or my ideal listener is a 33-year-old woman who drives to work every morning at 8 o'clock. Um, yeah, still kids. You know how it goes. So be really specific. So every time you start recording, you have that one person in your mind. Uh, so that's, that's number three. Four. Now that you have target audience, stuff like that down, it's time to create a website. And since you already probably have an agency if, uh, if uh, and your listeners already have an agency, I don't think it's a bad idea to have just a, another page on your agency, a website, just a podcast. Keep it simple. Don't stress about it. And one of the things uh, someone told me in the beginning of my podcast career was don't overthink stuff. Uh, life is already pretty complicated. It's just... Decide it right away. You can always change it later. Make it, Come up with a cool name, something you like. Come up with a photo for the iTunes. So every 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 podcast needs to have a photo. Have a designer do it. Pay 30, 40 bucks. And come up with a description for your show. So now you're going to have all the techie stuff done. And now your goal is to decide whether you're going to do interview-based show or whether you're going to talk on your own with your co-host or just on your own. So once you do that, let's say you pick the interview-based show. Go to one of the podcasts you really like and simply copy the names uh, that you like and try to find your emails online. Nine out of ten, you'll find your emails and reach out to them. Say who you are. The name, the names of, of their exactly. guests. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. And reach out to them and be really straightforward. And I see emails all the time, uh, outreach emails like, I don't know, two pages long. Just keep it like eight sentences, eight to ten sentences max. Um, my name is this and that I run this podcast or I'm thinking about running this podcast. Would you like to be on my show? If you're starting off, you probably don't want to mention your download numbers since they're zero. I don't know. It might be a bit sneaky, but uh, I wouldn't. And, uh, if possible, if you've done a few interviews before, just uh, link them there as well and say, get back to me. And I promise you with this simple email, you'll probably get at least success rate of 10%, uh, even with really big guests. And uh, then just reach out to people, reach out to 50 people in a few hours and um, get them scheduled. Use a tool such as schedulones.com or um, there are a bunch of tools, just Google like scheduling easy or whatever. Get them scheduled. Um, what do you use for scheduling, Andy? What's, what's your tool? I use uh, Calendly. Right. Oh, yeah. Th- that's the best one. Sure. And get them scheduled and do your first interview. It's probably going to suck bad. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> if Yeah, you, I don't want to listen to my first right, interview. Right. I don't want to listen to my first, I don't know, 25, 50 right. either. And, uh, but you can improve from there. Most importantly, try to have fun. Do some research about the guest. Keep it engaging. Keep it full of value. Um, at the same time, listen to other podcasts. See what they're doing. Really try to analyze them. Listen to, you, listen to Andy. See what he's doing. And uh, put out your first episode, promote, promote it on social media, send, send the episodes link back to the person, ask them to promote it, be, be blunt, ask them to promote it. And I promise you, nine out of 10 people again will promote it and go from there. Yeah. It can seem pretty intimidating to get started, but ultimately there's nothing too crazy about it. There's nothing that overwhelming when you break it into the pieces. But one thing I do want to say is that just getting the interview done is only half the battle because then you still need to publish. You need to get it edited. You need to get the show notes up. You need to do a lot to actually push it out there to people. And so right away on, on our end, at least when we first started, we were referred to an audio editor, um, which made things easier because I have no idea how to do any of that. I can like splice things together now, but that's about it. But I was doing the show notes myself. I was basically almost making a transcript and then I was putting in show notes and it was taking hours and hours and hours for every episode. You've obviously developed a process that simplifies things. And obviously, if people don't want to do it at all, they can use your service. They can use one of the other services. But if people are looking to get started on doing it their own, what are the steps after recording the episode? 
Okay, I think that's a really good approach. Uh, whenever I outsource anything, I always want to perform the task on my own. So I know how long it takes, how hard it is, and if I can do it myself faster and better than other people. If the answer is no, I usually will, usually will outsource. So if you want to do it on your own, simply if you're using a Mac, get yourself a Logic Pro X. I don't know how much it costs, maybe a few hundred bucks. Um, there's probably some free, uh, free softwares out there as well. Audacity, maybe. That's a pretty big one. And simply watch a few YouTube tutorials um, and keep it natural as possible. Uh, that's one of the big things. Uh, as you said, uh, you can slice things up. That's pretty much all you have to do when you're getting started, is slicing and fading. So uh, when there's a, like an um or uh, you probably want to get rid of that. Slice it up and fade so it doesn't make that click, click sound that you hear in a lot of podcasts. So watch a few YouTube tutorials. Get yourself a free software in the beginning. If you if you have a lot of money, get yourself a premium one. Doesn't really matter. And try editing one episode on your own and see if you like it. And one of the one of the criteria I had for myself in the beginning, it sounds pretty weird, but but it had to be good enough for me to show it to my mom. And if you go through that uh, go through that lens, it has has to be pretty good because I really love and respect my mom. So uh, I had to make it really, really good. And if you're not happy with it, get yourself uh, someone who do, will do it for you. Get yourself a company, whether it's uh, it's our company or outsource it to someone else. Past the editing, once that is done, because I agree that's one of the big hurdles. But for the show notes, what do you, how do you think about them? Do you like doing really detailed show notes that are like thousand plus word blog posts? Do you want to keep them simpler? What do you think should be uh, the ideal show notes? So for me, show notes, show notes are are kind of for me, not for other people. It sounds selfish, but um, when I lis- re-listen to the episode, I always make notes for myself. What could I do better? What questions I should have asked at that point? Where did I where did I stutter? Where did I mess up? So re-listening episodes for me isn't about show notes or writing that blog post. It's about analyzing what could I do better and what could I improve. So back to your question, I don't write a blog post. I simply write down seven, eight most important points that I that I mentioned, the other person mentioned in the show. And uh, if you head over to entrepreneurdecoded.com, you'll see it's a really simple. It simply says my guest today. The name, the bio, and then seven to eight most important points, uh, links and uh, resources mentioned, and finally, sponsor Oscar Hamilton. And it takes me 25 minutes to re-listen to the episode and at the same time put that together. So it kind of goes two-in-one, re-listening, analyzing, and writing that part. And this is something where it's easy to spend a lot of time on. And in the beginning, we did. Like, I, I had seen the shorter podcast show notes and for whatever reason i just didn't like them i like to i typically read i, I wasn't a huge consumer of podcasts before i, I listen to a lot more now but I, I wanted to have like really detailed show notes but these things were taking longer for me to write than it was for me to do like everything else with the podcast we still have detailed show notes uh we've had to improve and change our processes to allow us to do it in an efficient way but but it goes back to the outsource or do it yourself mindset is that figure out where your time is best spent um i know a lot of podcasters with much bigger audiences than mine who say when they looked at their analytics almost nobody was really spending any time on their show notes pages even visiting it so they can spend a ton of time optimizing it but ultimately people are just wanting to listen to the show and so that's an important thing to do but at the same time too if you're an agency owner you probably don't have a lot of time to be doing this yourself. And so at Hubstaff, what we did is we luckily have a big enough team where we were able to outsource internally. We were able to have other people on our team handle different parts of the process, and we outsourced the audio editing. And that worked for us. But honestly, it, I probably would have made sense to outsource. We just kind of were a little bit anal about how much control we wanted over the process. And if that's the case, then, hey, do it yourselves. But if you just want it to get done, definitely look into some of the options like Oscar Hamilton to get it edited because this isn't the best place for you to be spending your time as an agency owner. You, there is a much uh, higher ROI you'll get on tasks other than editing the audio together. And one of the things that I guess uh, 
what makes us different in a way is that since I've been a podcaster for a year now, if you outsource it to someone, they will just do your show notes, your your production, your stuff like that. But we will actually listen to the episode, listen to the stuff, and make sure that that your show is as good as it possibly can be. We'll give you advice. We'll we'll say, hey, you need to change that. We just don't do producing and editing. We we help you wider your audience and make you a better podcaster. So. It's not just about editing and producing. It's kind of like a full service in a way. That's interesting. You give a bit of like almost mentorship. You you offer feedback on how they can improve above and beyond just the basics. I guess it's just adding value in a way because we don't mention that uh, when someone... Right, because I was going to say I, I wouldn't have known yeah, that. Yeah, we, we don't mention that uh, on our website. But whenever someone wants to start a podcast or is already running a podcast and if there's clearly something they're doing wrong... And I wish there was someone telling me in the beginning when I was starting off that I was doing something wrong. Uh, if I had a company like that, that would have been pretty cool. Or or even a mentor. Like, uh, it would have been pretty cool. Uh, how about you, Andy? When you started off, were there a lot of uh, big mistakes you wish you didn't make? That's what I was about to ask you. Um, but for me, it, it was – I probably overprepared for every episode. I had probably had too many notes coming into it, so I wasn't as natural. I was – but a lot of that is just I was nervous. I'm not I wasn't comfortable behind the microphone. I wasn't comfortable putting myself out there. So I wanted to have like backup options for anything they could possibly say. I wanted to know everything that was gonna happen and prepare for it. So I probably would have told myself, relax a little bit, it'll be okay. And then the other thing was just on a similar note was just over preparation on the back end, putting way too much time and effort into the show notes when 20% of the time would have got me a result that was almost as good as what we ended up putting out. So it really would have been take a step back, relax and don't overcomplicate it. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, I guess for me, the biggest lesson that I learned over, over the last year after doing 125 interviews is just peak, be curious it's, it's really easy to start thinking in your head, what should I ask next? Um, um, where should I take this interview? I want to get through those questions. Otherwise, this won't be a good interview. Or, or saying something and then starting analyzing. But stop that. Just I know it's easier said than done, but just be curious. Have a goal for your interview. This will be way better than written out questions and going, being really, really anal about it. Right. And like, like for this show, like I, I still send all of my guests a general outline, but I also tell them like, Hey, it's going to be a casual chat. We're going to go in different directions only laid out. This just gives us a framework to think about. But the less that I, I stick to that exactly, typically the better the interviews will go. And I agree entirely. If you're a curious person naturally, you won't have a hard time filling up an interview with valuable information as long as you just let your curiosity show ask questions when you have questions and, and push back when you're when you don't necessarily agree and one of the one of the favorite quotes i have don't compare someone's uh, middle to your beginning uh, it's really easy to see what other people are doing uh, and that was one of the one of the things i did when i was starting off i was looking uh, andrew warner uh, one of one of the most brilliant interviewers out there and I was like, man, he's so good. He's so freaking good. He knows what to ask. He's done his research. If I could only be like him. But it took him, what, 1,500 episodes to get there, you know? So once again, like like we talked before, Andy, that your first, I don't know, 30, 40 episodes will be pretty crappy. And you'll just get better every single time. Mm-hmm. And, and the one last point I'll make, because I think we've belabored this a little bit, but I hope people do uh, appreciate the insights we shared, is that the one last thing is that you want to make sure that you can be consistent with this because it's going to stress you out to know like, oh, I got to put this podcast out on this date. I have so much else to do. Because in my mind, I see the podcast publication date as a promise I make to the audience that I will put the podcast out on this day. And sometimes I'll be hours late, but I always make sure I get that day out. And so just be aware that you are sort of making that promise before you get into it. But on the other side of it, simplify as much as you can so that you don't go crazy trying to live up to that process. And whether that means outsourcing or whether that just means keeping it simple internally, just keep it simple so you can remain consistent. Yeah, that is so important. Uh, figure out in the beginning uh, when you're launching the podcast, when are you going to release it? And make it as a promise to your spouse or to your mother. You know, like Don't miss that. If, if you want to build an audience, if you want to make more money, 
treat it as a really important thing. Don't ever miss it. Yes, there's some, there will be times in your life when you might publish the episode a few hours later, maybe even a day later. But try not to miss it. And one of the things that really helps me, and as we talked before, Andy, having a buffer. So before you start your start your podcast, try having at least four weeks of popper, buffer. So if you're going to have a, a daily, daily podcast, have 30 episodes done before. If you're going to have a weekly, uh, weekly podcast, have four episodes done before. And always try to hold yourself accountable to that. Because, for example... I had a two-week buffer. I always try to hold a four-week buffer. But uh, I had a two-week buffer just a few months ago. And I got sick and I, I lost my voice completely. And I, I couldn't do any interviews for like 10 days. And without having that buffer, I probably would have disappointed my audience big time. It's almost insurance for for what you don't know can come. To transition a little bit, how do you see podcasting fitting into the way you're planning to grow Oscar Hamilton going forward, is this still going to be the primary channel of growth for you? Right. I don't know. I'm a, I like the Gary Vee approach. Kind of, You can't predict the future, but you will adjust. So I'll see where the, where the future goes. So we, I don't know what the platforms will arise, but definitely the podcast, my podcast will uh, promote Oscar Hamilton for uh, some time now. Since the really niche specific service and the, uh, even if we promote the crap out of it, I don't know if it can ever have more than like 100 clients at the time. Like, I don't know if it's even humanly possible. On the other hand, if you start like a social media thing or or whatever, like a larger, larger software company, you can have thousands of clients. But since we're doing really niche specific work, um, uh, I don't know if we can ever have more than like 100, 200 clients. So eventually, hopefully everybody in the industry has heard about us and, uh, I'll be uh, I'll be doing interviews. I'll advertise my podcast. I'll be on other shows, and uh, we'll probably get some leads from there. So definitely, podcasting will be a number one referral source for uh, for new clients. So before we wrap up, I like to ask all of my guests just a few rapid fire questions. So I'll go through them quickly, but your responses don't have to be quick. The first one is just: What do you currently spend too much time doing? Thinking, man. I think thinking. <laughs> I'm one of those people who likes to overanalyze. Before I said that you shouldn't overanalyze and just do it, you know. But uh, it's so hard. I really try to cut down everything that is not important. So I overanalyze what should I cut down or what work should I do or what should I write my next blog post about or who should I interview next. And I'm, I'm always in my head. And I've, I've tried meditation tried uh, my mindfulness uh, yoga stuff like that it has helped me a bit but i think being in my head that's a big thing and uh, hopefully this year i'll get better with that i can completely relate on that point so the next question though is what do you not spend enough time doing mm, friends and loved ones i think that's uh, that's something uh, that's something that I wish I could do better, and uh, I know it's a mindf- again mindful approach. Uh, you have to set time it's time for people who uh, who you love. When I started my own podcast, I was uh, I was working like crazy. As I said, I have, one day I would have like eight interviews in in one day, and when you're just starting off, everything is kind of new to you. So uh, starting that Oscar Hamilton and starting starting my own own podcast, um, a lot of friends faded away because I just didn't have time. But now I've been really trying to schedule time in uh, at least a few times a week to just spend time with my family, spend time with uh, with my loved ones. And uh, one of the thing, one of the things uh, that is not talked about enough, I think, in entrepreneurship is that, man, you need to you need to spend time with your loved ones. Like work isn't everything. Uh, a lot of entrepreneurs preach that like work is everything. Work sixteen hours a day. Like uh, be happy. I love the grind. But Dude, at the end of the day, like I promise you, you'll be more productive. You'll you'll probably be more happier if you spend an hour a day with your spouse or with your kids. You know. Yeah, we're not all Gary V. Yeah, we're not all not Gary V. <laughs> what are you hoping to accomplish in the next quarter with Oscar Hamilton? It would be nice to hit fifty clients, double, triple our revenue. That would be nice, and I think that's what we're uh, planning to achieve. How it's growing now, yeah. What do you see as being the biggest obstacle in your way of getting there? I don't know if you heard about this thing called shiny object syndrome, Andy. You probably heard <laughs> yes. about it, right? It comes up on the show probably all the freaking time. 
and uh, it comes down to focus again. Uh, one of the things that I have struggled for years is I I come up with a cool new idea and I want to jump in right away. I think a lot of entrepreneurs tend to feel that way. When there's a new exciting idea, you kind of let loose of the current focus and put way too much time on the stuff that don't matter. So over the past few months, I've really tried to cut down everything that is not important. And uh, and actually, that's why I'm focusing all of my energy to do growing the podcast and focusing on the production and eating company Oscar Hamilton. So everything else, I, I try not to make important. So the big, biggest obstacle is trying to focus on only those two things. Awesome. Well, Simon, you shared a ton with us today. I'm going to make sure to get as much of that as I can linked up in the show notes for everyone to check out. But if listeners do want to hear more from you, learn more about what you have to offer about your podcast, where are the best places for them to go? So since uh, since uh, everybody in the audience is listening to this podcast, I assume that your audience likes podcasts. So head over to uh, my podcast, entrepreneurdecoded.com and uh, you'll find some uh, pretty cool interviews. I've enjoyed them. I hope you will enjoy them. And if you have any questions about taking your podcast to the next level or if I can help you anyhow, just shoot me a quick, uh, quick email. You can uh, find the contact form on, uh, on my website, entrepreneurdecoded.com. Awesome. And again, I'll add that to the show notes. Simon, thank you so much for chatting today. It was a ton of fun and I'm sure the listeners will get a lot out of that one. And I hope they do consider the power of podcasting. So thank you very much for coming on today. I don't expect all of you to run out there and launch your own podcast, but I hope that at least a few of you listening are considering it. Beyond the clients you get directly from the show, the relationships you're able to build when you have a platform like this are invaluable. The one thing I do want to stress is that a podcast really is a big commitment and it takes time to actually start seeing the results. So if right now you're struggling to keep reasonable working hours, a podcast probably isn't the right fit for you unless you know your team is going to be able to handle a lot of the work. I strongly recommend outsourcing at least the editing, but there is still a lot of work that goes into a podcast beyond that. So at least keep that in mind. If you are interested in launching a podcast, Simon gave a great step-by-step process for how to do that. And I've also written an article on the subject myself and linked it up in the show notes, which you can find at blog.hubstaff.com. Also, I'd recommend checking out episode 32 of this podcast with James Carberry, who lays out how he uses podcasting as a sales tool. That's all I have for you this week. If you enjoyed the show and learned something, head over to iTunes and leave a review telling me what it was that you learned. I love hearing from listeners and positive reviews help us grow our audience. So if you can take a second to do that, I'd really appreciate it. And don't forget, if your agency is looking to hire remote contractors or maybe even looking for a few extra projects and are tired of paying huge fees to Upwork, head over to talent.hubstaff.com and create a profile. It's 100% free. All right, I'll talk to you next week. See ya. See ya.